Uh, my name's Will, and uh, I'm part of the ministry team here at Trinity, and uh, it's a joy to be with you in the evening. Uh, preached this morning, and we're doing it again this evening. It's a wonder. And um, tonight, I am uh, talking about Jesus in the desert, and Jesus. we're with Jesus in the desert, and he is uh, battling the devil, battling Satan, and uh, so tonight I want to talk about um, two kingdoms, <clears throat> the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, and we see this um, face-off, this confrontation between them in the desert, and uh, when I was thinking about this face-off, this confrontation, I couldn't but help think of, I don't know why my mind went here, when I was a kid we used to play a game called British Bulldog. Anybody else play that game? Put your hand if you play that game. Good. Oh, it's good. Even the... Wow, still still going. And um, I was from a place near Croydon, so we used to call it British Bulldog. And um, British Bulldog uh, is this game, as some of you know, where basically you uh, the setup is basically one person is the bulldog. And I don't know why they chose bulldog. As I said this morning, of, of all the animals, the bulldog is perhaps the least agile. This sort of Churchillian figure here and then over here you'd have um, everybody else and they'd line up and the idea was basically everybody here had to get past the bulldog through to the other side without the bulldog catching you um, and uh, the bulldog would stand here and go ready ready there'd be this like face of ready steady go and then everybody would dash and, and what would happen then is sort of as the bulldog caught people they would join his team and uh, British bulldog by the way British I don't know why British uh, Brexit started here and um, and this uh, what would happen is eventually the bulldogs would catch everybody and you'd have this one person left and there'd be this like face off between sort of all of the bulldogs and then over here the sort of the one and uh, Jesus is here and he's faced off faced off with the forces of darkness the forces of evil and we've been in this series of uh, Jesus in the wilderness for the last few weeks. We're in a, a season in the church calendar called Lent. And Lent is this build up to Easter, to celebrating Jesus' death. And then on the third day, his resurrection, because the tomb is empty. And so we celebrate that. But before then, we're in Lent. And we remember uh, Jesus being in the wilderness and choosing to go into the wilderness and what we've been saying all along, Johnny, George talked about this, is this idea that between Jesus being given a task and a mission and him completing that mission, between him getting his commissioning and him fulfilling that commissioning is this bit in the middle. And it's the bit that we often forget. We often think that God tells us who we are and what we need to do, and then we go and do it. And we forget that in the middle is this bit where we are made ready. That's what the wilderness is, if we will let it. The wilderness is this time of testing, of refining, of purifying, making us ready. Before Jesus can speak, he must learn to listen. Right? Before he can proclaim good news, he must become good news. And uh, for us, it's the same. Before we can change the world, we ourselves must be changed. That's what the wilderness is for. Before we can talk to others of God, we must develop a conversation with him. Before we can bring others close to him, we must know intimacy with him. And this uh, message of the wilderness time, I really believe is a message that God is giving the churches at this time. Not just this church, but the churches across this nation. It feels to me like 
any sort of conference or talk, lecture in the church that I go to anywhere in the country, right now it feels like God is saying and speaking through people saying, if you want to be in on this, God has got to make you ready and he's got to purify and test and work out some stuff within us. We've got to go through a wilderness. And so what's clear when we read the scriptures is that we don't need superficiality. What we don't need anymore is a superficiality, uh, superficial Christianity. We need people of depth, people of character, and that takes time and it takes battle. The kingdom will come through people who have been through the wilderness. Maybe many wildernesses, maybe even going through some right now and they've been refined and they come out because they've held on in the wilderness. They come out more hungry, more reliant on God, more interested in his kingdom than their own. And so today we come to the third of the temptations, Jesus in the desert with the devil. And what we see is that um, in the story, there's this escalation of the temptations. The devil starts with Jesus sort of on the ground, as it were, the stones. Turn these stones into bread, Jesus' physical need. And then there's a move upwards. And this escalation in the, in the sort of intensity of the temptations is marked in the story, in the narrative, by like a, almost a physical going up as well. There's this move to the temple and the devil says, throw yourself off and the angels will catch you, make a show. And Jesus says, no. And then the devil eventually, in our reading today, takes Jesus to this sort of fictional place, this high mountain. And he says to Jesus, look, you can see everything from here. And Jesus looks out and there before him is all the kingdoms of the world. In all it says their splendor or some versions, all their glory right there for you to see. And all of it, the devil says, can be yours now. Just bow down and worship me. You can have all of that. And in some ways then, The temptation is quite a simple one, right? Everything you've ever wanted, just give up on God. Everything any human being has ever desired, just give up on God. It's sort of quite a simple binary thing. And Jesus says, no. He says, I'd rather have God and lose all of that. Or on the other way, I wouldn't want to have any of that if I don't have God. That's Jesus's refusal. But I think the temptation actually is a little more subtle than that. It's a little bit more going on than that. You see, when Jesus is up here on this sort of fictional place and he's looking at all the kingdoms of the world, I wonder if as readers of this story, we're supposed to go back and think about the story that's gone through Matthew's gospel thus far. See, Matthew has given us this, what he calls a genealogy, this list of names at the start of the gospel that often we skip over because they're long Jewish names, but... There's this long list of names, and basically the point Matthew is making is Jesus' life is deeply significant. He can trace his lineage all the way back. It's as if God has been working all the way through history to get to this point. And I wonder if, as readers, we're supposed to see that. I wonder if Jesus himself, when he's standing on that mountain, looking at all the kingdoms of the world and what the devil is promising, is thinking to himself, geez, I remember those stories that my mum used to tell me about you know, that I, I, didn't, I wasn't born through sort of normal means. She used to tell me stories about angels visiting. And, 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 and then maybe he remembered the stories about wise men. Where are they from? From the nations of the world. Bringing, what did they bring? Their splendor and their glory to him as a baby boy. And then maybe he remembers John the Baptist saying that this is, I am the Lord. And he, maybe he remembers his, in his baptism a few days ago, God, the heavens opening and God speaking, an audible voice saying, this is my son with him, I am well pleased. Here's my point. 
When Jesus looks out over the kingdoms of the world, the devil knows what he's doing. The devil is offering Jesus what God has promised will be his. What the devil is offering Jesus is exactly what God had said that Jesus will receive. And the reason I wanted you to see that second reading in Matthew 28, can we go to the next slide, Matt? The reason I wanted you to see that second reading, I know it's small up there, is to notice something. And what you notice is at the end of the gospel, after Jesus has been through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, at the very end, what happens? Jesus takes his friends up onto a mountain and he says to them, all authority has been given to me. What the devil offers, in other words, happens. What the devil says Jesus can have, God gives Jesus later on in his life. He receives it by going through death into his resurrection. He receives everything that the devil promised. The offer of the devil is to receive everything that God has offered without God. That's the offer that the devil makes to Jesus. You can have it now. God has promised to fulfill your deepest longings, your deepest needs, everything that God has promised you, and you can have it now. You don't need to go through all that stuff. You don't need to go through the cross, all of the betrayal, all of the agony. You don't need it. You can have it now. And Jesus, Jesus says no. And what I want us to see is that the temptation that the devil makes to Jesus is a temptation that each of us face in our lives every single day. To have everything that God has promised us and have it now without him. See, God has this desire to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. And the temptation is to grab those things that God has put within us, to grasp them and have them now. Now, we are not uh, Jesus. I want to make that point clear. If you've, got no, if you've got notes, get that down. We are not Jesus. Um, but, so we, we are not offered the kingdoms of the world. That's not for us. That's for him. But he does make us a promise. Just as he made Jesus a promise, he does make us a promise. And the promise, as I say, is to fulfill the deepest longings within us. We're not even, as I said this morning, we're not even promised as much. You know Simba in The Lion King? You know, his dad takes him up to that mountain and says, son, everything the sun touches will be yours. We're not even offered that much, right? But we are offered something deeply, deeply significant for each of us, to have our deepest longings fulfilled. Another way of putting that is we are promised life and life to the full. That's what we're offered. Now, I've talked a little bit about desires and longings. Um, One of the things that we talk about a fair amount here at Trinity is that we believe as human beings, we are a collection of desires, of wants. That what makes us human, what makes us who we are, is not so much what we think as what we want, what we hunger for, what we desire. Our deep, deep longings. And actually that who we are is a result of those longings and a result of the way that we've uh, sought to fulfill those longings for ourselves. That's what makes us who we are. Um, And as I say, these desires are deep. Okay, what I'm not talking about here is like your Amazon wish list, you know, or like sort of your desire to have a new car or your desire to have a girlfriend next week, right? What I'm talking about here is our deep desires that make us human. Here's a few. A desire to be loved and to love. That's one. Core to what it is to be human. Another. To be safe. Right? To feel secure. Here's another one. To matter. Right? To feel as if our lives 
have a purpose, that our life has meaning. And as I say, what we do comes out of those desires. Uh, We hoard things, we grasp onto things, whether it's money or resources, whatever, because of that deep longing within us for security. Okay, Fear about our finances is the same. We're scared about our finances because we have that deep longing within us. We strive to achieve grades, results, whatever, because we desire our lives to matter. Sex is a problem for us because deep within us is this longing to be loved and to love. You see my point? And by the way, uh, this isn't just a human story. Uh, This isn't just a religious story, I should say. This is a human story. Okay, Whether you're a sociologist, psychologist, political philosopher, everybody knows that as human beings, we are driven by what we want, by deep human instincts, deep desires, deep needs. The claim of the Bible and the Christian tradition, though, is that the reason we have those longings, those desires, is not because of random chance, but because they were put there by God. It's because we were made in the image of a God who is love, that we have these deep needs, these deep longings within us, right? Who set us in a home to have purpose, to know love and to give love. That's why they're there. And you see this, um, by the way, right at the beginning of the scriptures, right? You see that um, God um, in the book of Genesis, I'm talking about Adam and Eve. And whether you think that's um, at this point a literal story, a metaphor, it really doesn't matter. But the point is that God takes Adam and Eve when he creates the world and he places them within the garden. And what do they have in the garden? They have desires, they have needs, God says he looks at Adam before he made Eve, for example, and he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be be alone. Adam has this longing for company, right? And so God gives him Eve. And what you see in the garden is that the, the human beings have needs, have desires because God has given them, and God satisfies them. That's what happens in the garden before the fall, right? So God places them in a garden. They have meaning and a purpose. He's given them a task to do. They have security in a home. They have safety, and they love and are loved by God and with one another. Right? And what happens then is the snake shows up right, in the story. The snake shows up and the snake tempts Eve and Adam. And what is that temptation? What is that original temptation? It's this. You know, I know that God has given you everything, Eve, right? Adam. I know that you have everything you desire. I know that God has satisfied that. But the problem is at this point in time, everything you're just receiving for yourselves, right? Nothing, you don't have anything that's truly yours. You don't sort of wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I made that, I did that. Everything you have, even your deepest desire has been fulfilled. You didn't do that yourself. God did that for you. Wouldn't it be good just to have something that was yours? Wouldn't it be good to have something that just had your name on it? You know, like God knows everything. Why don't you just know a little bit? That's the temptation. And Eve, and then Adam, reaches up and grasps it. Grasps. In other words, Adam and Eve in that moment decide to fulfill their deep longings in a way other than God. They decide to fulfill the longings that God has put within them by a means which isn't God. And from that point on, everything falls apart, right? That's the story. And it's exactly the same temptation that Jesus faces in that moment on that high mountain, the same temptation that Eve faced. You can have 
everything that God has promised and you can have it now. Just grab hold of it. Take it for yourself. It can be yours. And Jesus, unlike Adam, says no. Jesus, you see, is the second Adam through the scriptures. The second man. And the second Adam says, no, I won't grab it. I won't grasp it. And it's the same temptation for each of us. See, the promise is indeed for fulfillment, to have our deepest needs, our deepest longings fulfilled. If God made us this way, then he will fulfill us. Question, do we trust that? Do you trust that? Do you trust that God, who put those deepest longings within you for security, to love and be loved, to have life and a purpose and a meaning, do you trust that God will satisfy those deepest longings? That's the question. That's the question that the temptation gets at. Jesus overcame the temptation by believing and leaning into the truth that only God can fulfill what he desired in his heart. And I really do believe that promise. I do believe that Jesus will, if we allow him to, do that in us, for us, through us. I believe that from now, through our lives, through our deaths into eternity, God is offering us everything we could ever want. Everything you could ever want, deep fulfillment, he's offering that. He will satisfy our deepest desires. I believe that he is taking our lives, this bundle of needs that we are, this bundle of wants, and he's fulfilling it. All that we've done, all that we'll do, all that has been done and done to us, all that we've seen, all that we've experienced, he will somehow, in his mercy, weave all of that into something of utter goodness. That for each of us, there can be and there will be a day where if we let him, we will be able to say, I have need of nothing. I am utterly fulfilled, utterly satisfied. And I know that nothing will be ever able to take it away. That's what's on offer for us. And so here then is a temptation, as I've said. Over every human life is this. You've got these deep longings within you that make you human. Are you going to satisfy them by God or another way? Are you going to receive or are you going to grasp hold of? Are you going to grasp hold of them, make it true of who you are, make it yourself? Or are you going to simply receive from God? That's the temptation. And what I want you to see is when Jesus rejects the temptation, he doesn't reject the longing. That's really important. See, often as Christians, you know, we're not, sometimes we don't get this quite right, I think. We often think that um, what we need to do is sort of suppress the longing, right? So sort of something comes up, you know, like a temptation to, you know, sleep with somebody or watch something or take that bit of money or whatever, or achieve more than work too hard, drink that, whatever. That temptation comes up and we think we've sort of got to say no to it. Now that's only partly right. Because what that thing is expressing is a deeper desire within us. And sometimes as Christians, we forget that deepest desire. And my point is this, we don't need to suppress the deep desire. We need to own it. We need to embrace it. We need to see what that, temp- that particular temptation, whether it's money, sex, power, whatever, is revealing about what we really need. And the question then is, will we seek to satisfy that desire by grasping hold of it, by drinking that thing, watching that thing, sleeping with that person, or will we simply wait until God in his time, in his way, will fulfill that deep need in us? Does that make sense? 
And so Jesus doesn't reject the desire. He knows that all that has been given to him. He knows that God has promised to fulfill the deepest desire of his heart, but he knows that he will not receive it by grasping it. His is not to grasp, but to receive. So he trusts. He trusts that only God will give it. That to worship God is to get God and to be given everything else. But that to grasp it for himself will result in him getting nothing. Seek first the kingdom, he says later on in his life, and everything else will be given to you. And this is the clash of the kingdoms, by the way. This is the clash of the kingdom. On the one hand, we have the kingdom of God, which is basically a posture of receiving, of receiving from him. And on the other hand, we have the devil's kingdom, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, grasping to grasp. And so here's the question. Will we grasp to fulfill our desires or will we receive them? By the way, all this stuff I'm talking about tonight on uh, grasping and receiving. I'm offering to you partly because it's, I, I feel it's true of my story, my, my own story. I am, um, when I was about 15, 16, I started to really own the fact that I wanted my life to matter, to be significant. Anybody else feel that, you know, that maybe that sort of deep longing in you is, I want my life just to, to have purpose, meaning, I don't, and it's going to be different for every one of us, but I just want it to matter. And Around that time, 15, 16, I became like really fascinated by um, stories of great men and women who I loved history. You know, I loved learning about Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa and then reading the scriptures, great men and women in the scriptures, whose lives, when you looked at them, you were like, oh yeah, their life mattered, right? Their life was not a waste. They did something significant. And I was like, that's what I want my life to be. Okay, I want my life to matter. And you can see, can't you, that at 15, 16, in one sense, that's a really beautiful desire. But you can also see the potential for that to be quite a dark thing. Would you see that? The desire is a healthy one, but you can see how if it's played out in certain ways, it's not going to be good. And what I began to experience through my life was that actually, you know, that desire would often express itself in a way that meant that I, was very, very, I found it very, very difficult to be present in the moment. Because like, to be present in the moment was to sort of somehow not yet be achieving the big thing that I wanted to achieve with my life. You know, I, I sort of struggled to just be. I wanted to be doing. And um, it expressed itself in lots of ways. I found relationships very, very difficult. Relationships with friends, relationships with my girlfriend, who, who now is my wife, Vicky. I found it very, very difficult to commit to that because the question was for me, like, basically, if this is my big thing, if I want to achieve that thing, like, what are you doing to that end? You know, how, how is this relationship sort of helping my life to matter? Because at the moment, it just sort of feels like quite a lot of sort of just hanging out and texting. You know, that's not like that, right? <laughs> and the other thing that I found really, really difficult was, and by, all this happened in my 20s, by the way, and, and so much of this stuff happens early 20s in our 20s, the sort of revelation of what our deep desires within us are doing to us. And what I, the other thing I began to realize was that I found it very, very difficult to exist in hardship. Very, very. Whenever anything challenging would happen, I'd immediately sort of think, this isn't right, right? This is, I, I need to be here. I need to be doing the big thing. And this is sort of holding me back. I, before um, doing this, I was a teacher. I taught for three years, secondary religious studies. And uh, I talked about hardship. And um, I, I remember like these January mornings going in to teach this class, 9L1. 9L1. Oh, Lord. And they were the worst. They were so intelligent. And that made everything worse because they knew how to, how to manipulate me. And uh, 
I used to go into this class, 901, and try and teach them. Tuesday, um, rainy day, January morning. It was, I, got up, I used to get up at silly o'clock, walk to school at six o'clock. It was pitch black, rain. It was just hor- Just everything about it was horrible. And I remember one of these mornings just walking to school, about to teach this class, and just thinking to myself, God, what have you done with my dream? This, is, this isn't it. This is just 30 naughty kids. This isn't, this isn't changing the world. And what the last decade has been for me, and this three years here at Trinity has been a big, big part of that, is this gradual sort of realization for me that I need to give God my dream. I need to give God ownership of my desire. He put it there, and so he will fulfill it. And he will fulfill it in his way, in his time. Mine is not to grasp. Right, Grasping, all grasping has done for me is meant that I'm being able, unable to be in the present. I've struggled in relationships and I've not been able to face hardship. And so I need to give it to God. I've learned to give it to God. And it's been such a difficult process, a hard process. There's been a lot of wilderness, let me tell you. But the end result is this glory of simply trusting that God has it. You know, at that point in time, when, when you're in that position, you have a choice. You can just reject the dream, right? You can just reject the, the thing inside of you. You can just say, you know what? I'm just a teacher, right? That, I'm never going to change the world, right? I'm, I'll just give up on the dream. It'll just be easier. If I just settle, it will just be easier, right? Or you sort of go hyper. You say, no, I've got to work harder. I've got to be a better teacher, I'm going to be ahead of year. Then that will matter. Then I'll do something significant. And then I'll be a head teacher and I'll change this school. And then I'll be like, you know, in the local government and I'll change the schools in this area. And then I'll be education secretary and I'll change this, the education in this nation, right? But it's just a grasping. It's just a grasping, a continual grasping. And the thing is, I've had to learn, I just give, God, I'll just give it to you. I'll give it to you and I trust. And that place of trust, let me tell you, has been so refreshing for me. I've had such experiences of God's goodness as I've simply tried to receive from him. A few little reflections on these two things, grasping and receiving. A few reflections. Is that okay? There's this story Rob Bell tells about him and his boy. And him and his boy, um, he's got his kid, uh, one-year-old kid, and in uh, a sling. And he's going for a walk through the woods. And um, the walk is a beautiful walk through these woods, and, but, but this storm suddenly comes over. And uh, the, the, sort of, the trees start blowing. The rain starts coming down, first a little light and then really heavy. And then the thunder and lightning starts. It goes dark overhead and it's really noisy. You know, you're in a forest and the storm's there. And he says what happens is this kid in this sling just starts getting restless and starts sort of like wriggling out, you know, like elbowing him and just trying to get out of the sling. And Rob Bell sort of tells about how he's like wrapping his arms around this kid and he whispers into the kid. He says, it's okay. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. It's okay. And, you know, when I think about this thing of grasping and receiving, the image that's in my mind is, is an image of a kid who is just wrestling with their parent, with their mum or their dad. And the mum or the dad, all they're trying to do is just grab the kid up, just wrap the kid up. And the parent knows, right, that the, the safest place at this point in time is just if the kid would just relax and just sit within its embrace. 
If, if, if he could just be there and let the dad or the mum just hold the kid, but the kid is like fighting. And when I think about grasping and receiving, that's the image of, I've got in my mind. Will we allow ourselves just to sit within the father's embrace, this father's care, to give us everything that ultimately we need? Or will we sort of wrestle our way, try and force our independence, our selfhood, to grasp, to grasp hold? That's, what I, that's the image that I think of. So to grasp is to seek to fulfill our God-given desires by some other means than God. And, and, and so you see something really important here. You see that sin in the Christian sense, as I've said, is more complex than just doing bad stuff. It's more a case of trying to reach the right goal by the wrong means. And that ultimately is at the root of damaged lives, damaged societies, damaged nations. Right? Think, I said this this morning, Donald Trump. When I was writing this talk, the, the one person I couldn't get out of my head is like, Donald Trump, what, what deep desires, deep needs does that man have that would lead him to behave in the way that he does, right? And I don't want to pick on him. I'm just, you know, he's sort of, he's the one who's put himself on a podium. So I guess I can, you know, talk about that. But when you, when you think about, you know, the men and the women in, in history have caused such harm and damage, what are the deep longings, the deep desires that they're seeking to hit, to fulfill through doing this behavior, it's what, it's what destroys nations, it's what destroys lives. And so to grow in discipleship then is to begin to work out what desires we are seeking to hit by doing whatever it is we are doing. And by the way, um, you know you're in this posture of grasping. You know you're in there um, because you're either striving or you're numbing. Striving and numbing. We strive, we're, we're proactive in trying to fulfill those desires because we hoard time and money, uh, because of that need to be safe, or we set out to achieve everything that mum and dad wanted us to achieve so that we get love or we get meaning. We constantly buy stuff to make us happy. Right? We have this cultural inability to stop and relax. So that's, that's striving. Or we're numbing. We're numbing the desires, and I see this more and more. Uh, the desires are too strong, right? and we know that we're never going to fulfill them. And so we eat or we drink or we give ourselves over to something as a way of numbing that desire. It's not being able to put down our phones, right? The need for constant stimulation, that's a numbing thing. Or it's alcoholism, it's workaholism. But see, whether it's by being active, um, by striving, or by be becoming deeply passive to life, numbing and avoiding, the question is what's driving it? That addiction, right, that habit, the call is not just stop it, but what's underlying need am I seeking to satisfy or to numb away by doing this thing? Um, this is going to go on a bit longer, by the way, George. Huck this morning, um, my little boy is two years old. And uh, this, just this morning, I was coming out to church and uh, he, Huck's in this phase where he's loving his dad at the moment. I'm, I'm fine with that. He's, He's like, whenever he falls and hurts himself or something, he's two years old, but he, look, he looks across and he says, daddy, daddy, daddy. He just wants his daddy. And it's a wonderful thing. And uh, I'll take it while it lasts. And this morning I came into the, I got him out of bed. I put him on, um, on our bed and then I was going to leave. And he saw that I had, uh, I had my preaching gear on and uh, he saw that and he was like, daddy's about to go. And so he had this like huge tantrum. It's like, you know, daddy, 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 daddy. And uh, he lay down on, the, at one point, he lay down on the floor, just like full out, just put his head on his hands like this and just cried, wept, wept like this. And, and then I said, I said um, Huck, do you want to watch some Peppa Pig? And he was like this, yep, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
And he jumped up on the bed. And he was like, in. And uh, he loved it. And I just thought, that's the image, isn't it? That's the image of this numbing thing. You know, he's lying there. He's like, he's got this deep father need. I just need my dad. I just need my dad. And then it's like Peppa Pig. Yep, I'm in. And, you know, for us, we have this deep desire these deep desires, these hungers that only God can fulfill. And what happens is so, it's so easy just to numb them, just to seek to numb them with something. You know, it's not, maybe it's not, I hope it's not still Peppa Pig, but, you know, <laughs> is it much of a jump from Peppa Pig to Netflix, you know, to whatever it is? That these, again, we say this all the time, those things aren't bad in themselves, of course, but when we're using them to numb something that only God wants to fulfill, that's where we're not going to move forward. And often it's this wilderness time, this time of testing, of hardship, whatever it is. That's so often the time where these needs, desires that are sort of lurking beneath the surface start to come to the fore. When our reliances are taken away, when we, can, when we give stuff up, when stuff is stripped away, that's the moment we can see the deeper motivations underneath. And we can either fight back by numbing or by striving, or we can actually listen to what taking those things away is saying. If you take away your phone, you don't have your phone, and you're in Anxi- you know, you're in anxiety for it. Ask yourself why. Ask yourself why. That's the question to ask at that point. And you see this posture of grasping in the devil himself, right? Do you see the posture of the devil in the story? How desperate he is for this. You know, he says to Jesus, "You can have everything I own, everything that's mine. You can have just bow down to me." How de- he'd give away everything just to have somebody give him some glory, right? How dissatisfied he is with what he has. And you see, therefore, how manipulative he becomes. He lies, he twists the truth. Do you see how grabby he is? This is the character of this kingdom, this grasping kingdom. It's to be fearful. It's an inability to be present, to be satisfied. It's a posture. And it expresses itself in big ways, small ways. To live in the kingdom of grasping is to be unwilling to serve because it's beneath us. It's living in constant anxiety of what other people think of us, however it expresses itself in our lives. And you know, this thing about receiving, what I want to say to you tonight, and I didn't say this this morning, is that in our society, in our context, it's very, very difficult to move away from a a grasping to a receiving, a posture of receiving. And it's very, very difficult because of the cultural tide that we're swimming in. And if you want to look back historically, philosophically, there's something called the Enlightenment that happened that essentially position the individual human being as the center of everything. You are the center of your life is what our culture, and this is in art, this is in philosophy, this is in music, everything. You yourself decide who you are, decide where you're going and what you're going to do. You know, 100 years ago, you were born in a certain place, your family had a particular career, and that was it. You knew what your place in the world was. Now, that obviously came with severe limitations, but today, particularly, um, you know, if you're a university student, if you're a transient sort of person, you have to wake up every single day of your life and decide what you want to be. You have to define yourself. You can't fall back on my family. We're a mining community, or you know, we're from the southeast, or whatever. Or this is what we do. This is what my family does. This is what my tribe does. You are told you're a completely unique individual. Now, listen. I hope you hear what I'm saying. So much of this is wonderful. So much of this is gift. But it's also an incredible weight to bear. This constant self-defining. This constant having to shape your life. When you look in the mirror, who do I need to be? Who do I want to be today that I might get some significance, some sort of meaning? Disney, if you can dream it, you can do it. 
Who's doing the dreaming? Who's doing it? You, I, the I. Or there's that poem, isn't there? That Invictus poem. Uh, What's the words? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Again, you know, there's, there's truth in there somewhere. But what a weight to bear. You are the captain of your fate. You decide who you are, who you want to be, where you want to go. It's an incredible weight. And it's actually a new idea. You know, up until that point, who you were was always defined in relation to other people. Right? I could not be who I am without other people, without my family or without my tribe or whatever it was, my people group, my beliefs, my, my culture, whatever. Culturally, you see this desire for individuality expressed in the need to be famous. Right? And, and it, we just see this again and again with our kids, this desire to be famous. Could there possibly be a more vacuous desire than the desire to be famous? Like famous for what? Like just to have people look at you. That's that desire. I mean, when you think about it, that's what it is. Like just to have people notice you. Like what deep desire is that seeking to hit? And so when we read a story like this about Jesus, the question is for us as a society is we look at this and we think, you know, Jesus is here. Surely, Jesus, you should have just grabbed it, right? Just grasp hold of it. Just take it, right? Make, your own, make yourself something. Define who you are, and Jesus refuses it. Rather than assert himself, he chooses to submit. Rather than make himself the captain of his soul, he says, there's one greater than I who is the captain of my soul. And if I try to define my own soul, it leads to nothing but death. But if I allow him to guide my soul, to captain my soul, he knows where there's good water. He knows where there's a sea that I can swim, sail free in, if I allow him to captain me. So if the posture of grasping is the devil, then the posture of receiving is Jesus himself. He's what it looks like. He'll have to wait for it. This is one of the things. Jesus decides he'll have to wait for it. It's not going to come instantaneously. He'll have to journey with the Father rather than getting it now. He'll be willing to suffer for it, to give himself over. Here it is. Here's the thing. He lays aside his immediate needs to fulfill his deepest needs. That's what Jesus does. Lays aside his immediate need to fulfill the deeper need. And that, when it finally comes down to it, is worship. That's what worship is. Verse 10. Jesus says to the devil, he doesn't engage, he doesn't try and have conversation, he doesn't try and work out what the devil is doing. He simply says, no, worship the Lord your God and him alone. Worship is the answer. What's the answer to fulfilling the deepest needs of our soul? Worship. Because to worship is to receive from him. In other words, to worship, and by, by the way here, when I talk about worship, I'm talking about worship in the broadest possible sense. So I'm not just talking about what we do here on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, though that is integral. I'm, I'm talking about what we do with our time, with our money, with our resources. All of that is worship. Any way in which we make God bigger than ourselves is worship. You know, our time. Our time is so precious, isn't it? It's so valuable a commodity, which is why we're so busy all the time, because we feel like time is precious. We've got to use it constantly, constantly, constantly. To give 45 minutes or an hour a day to pray, to read your Bible or whatever, is an incredible act of faith, an incredible act of receiving from God. 
right? Because you're basically saying, I will not use my time to grasp, to try and fulfill my own desires. You've gifted me this time, but I'm not going to use it to try and do it myself. I'm going to use it for you to do it in me. And in that 45 minutes an hour, it doesn't matter what you do really, you know, read your Bible, pray, it doesn't matter. But just the fact that you've set aside that time to be with God is an incredible act of faith. Or our money, our resources, you know, to give those over to God, to make God bigger than all of that is a huge, huge thing. So worship ultimately is to make God bigger. And this is where I want to come in to land. Jesus in that moment is offered the world to have his deepest desires fulfilled. But instead of that, he says, no, there's something bigger than all of that. There's something bigger than me and it's God. But here's the thing. When I make God bigger, I myself am bigger too. Right? Sometimes in our society, we, we, we struggle with this idea of submission or obedience. And, and lots of that is quite right because of, you know, we've had horrific examples of what submission looks like. By the way, if anybody who's bigger than you is, is, is uh, making you submit against your will, forcing you, that's not what we're talking about here. That's bullying or abuse, right? What we're talking about here is a loving father who as he is made bigger, he chooses to make us bigger too. As, as George said, as we worship him, we ourselves are made bigger because here's the thing. If you make God as big as God can be, you can be as big as you wanna be. You just know that God is a lot, lot bigger. Sometimes we think that Christianity is about making, in order to make God bigger, we've got to make ourselves smaller, right? We've got to push ourselves down. It's the wrong way of thinking. We make God bigger. We can stand then as tall as we want to be. We can stand in the full stature that God intended for us. But as we worship, as we make him bigger, our deepest desires are fulfilled. I want to invite the band to, uh, to come up <clears throat> and... Uh, I'm going to end here, but it's just to say this. <clears throat> the image I, I had in my mind, I want to finish with this. As uh, we were worshipping, was this image of a river. And uh, this river is a river of God's love. And this river has a current to it. You know, it flows. It just flows. And the decision that each of us make in our lives is the decision to either try and go our own way or just jump in the river and allow the river to carry us. And what's on offer in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, is that the river might just carry us where we need to go. And when you're in that stream, you don't have to swim. You don't have to paddle. You just lie back and the river carries you. That's the gift that God offers each of us in our lives, is just to carry us down the river. And so the decision isn't to try and make it on our own, to work hard to do it, but the decision is just to get into the river. Now that sometimes takes effort to get into the river because the stream is pulling us so, so far the other way, right? This, this stream of, of trying to support ourselves, of grasping because of what we've experienced as kids, because of what our parents have taught us, because our family backgrounds, everything in us is like, I've got to grasp, I've got to make it happen for myself, right? And what's offered is this stream and we've got to work really, really hard to get away from the grasping and work hard to get into the river, but once you're in the river, it will carry you. You've got to work hard to get in, but once you're in, you'll be gone. That's what's on offer. And worship is one of the ways, the way that we get into that river and allow God to carry us. Let me pray.